0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. This is Sportbox. Let's get into your headlines. China's industrial deflation worsens as producer prices fall more than 3% in April in their biggest decline in four years. Stocks in Asia fall, also reacting to worries about new virus clusters in the region. This after the Nasdaq diverges from other US averages, posting six straight days of gains for the first time since December. Red lights flashing for Toyota as the Japanese carmaker forecasts an 80% plunge in full-year operating profit, its lowest result in nearly a decade. Elon Musk defies authorities by reopening Tesla's key California plant despite lockdown orders and daring officials that he be arrested. UK
1: Prime Minister Boris Johnson unveils his return to work guidance, advising workers to wear face coverings as the manufacturing and construction sectors get back to work. But he is attacked over the government's mixed messaging.
0: so welcome let's open the program by having a look at ThyssenKrupp here and it's important I think that we continue to focus on metals and basic commodities that are important for a cyclical recovery in the economy ThyssenKrupp represents very much that story in Germany as a steel maker and just yesterday we were hearing the CEO expressing some concerns about turnaround measures because of the uh, issues with the coronavirus pandemic this was Reported in a note to staff. The uh, Thyssen CEO says the longer the pandemic lasts, the more it eats up proceeds we were expecting from the sale of the elevator unit. Well, let's set that to one side for a moment because there may be some businesses that are wondering if they paid too much for the elevator business. Let's drill down on the numbers here. Second quarter net loss widening to 948 million euros, the year earlier loss. Was 173 million. The uh, group says uh, free cash flow before MA at a negative 209 million euros. Total equity fell to 1.2 billion euro at the end of March from 1.9 billion euro at the end of December with uh, net financial debt at 7.5 billion euro at the end of march so that that is up on the end of december figure here 7.1 billion was that uh, december or end december number Helpfully, they've uh, given us some breakdown on the business units. So let's just um, quickly look at those. Automotive technology adjusted operating loss 49 million euros vis the uh, year ago period. In terms of the industrial component adjusted EBIT down 9% at 52 million. Elevator technologies EBIT down 12% at 174 million and plant technology operating loss narrowing to 21 million. I could spend more time just drilling into the individual units but I think interesting at this stage for us just to get uh, Anetta to weigh in on this because Krupp is a business that's been in restructuring mode for some time and we know that the steel segment has been challenged in Europe Anetta as you look across these figures this morning how do you think investors will digest the message?
2: Uh, well, actually, the figure is, as um, I understand them as of now, after short are uh, worse than expected. And there already has been a lot of bad explication priced in, I guess. So I think this doesn't look too good for Twosom Club. Uh, to add on to that, there was a note to, uh, to staff as of yesterday, where they were reiterating or from the weekend, where were they saying that they need to overhaul faster due to COVID-19, uh, meaning that it sounded pretty dire also from uh, for the outlook because it is a very difficult situation. And we all thought that with the sale of the elevator business back in February, uh, at the peak of the cycle, it was just like days before um, the coronavirus also hit uh, continental Europe in at least the realization of investors just days before they closed that deal with private equity players Advent and Simin Sim- Sim- for a record amount of um, <clears throat> of money. Now they're saying the longer the pandemic lasts, the more this money is eaten up by the expected uh, by by the situation as such. So it is a problem because that money was desperately needed. We know that Truth and last year they failed to get that merger done with um, <clears throat> in the steel business and now they are they need to desperately consolidate um, the steel business. Somehow they need to get that, uh, yeah, across regulation, but potentially a new partner. But for the time being, it looks like more or less a question of surviving. They have that um, one billion euro credit line from KfW secured, but they're burning cash every day. And so, the the longer the situa- situation lasts, the yeah, the the worse it is. They are saying they have a second quarter free cash flow at negative 209 million euro and that the second quarter net loss widens to 984 million euro. Um, and even the elevator division um, is not doing as great as um, an analysts had expected. So to give you an answer, Jeff, the bottom line is that business is not doing well at all. And I guess it looks more or less like a matter of surviving this year. Yeah. Um,
0: Annette, that's terrific. Thank you so much for that. And I think particularly interesting that you point out the elevator business issues here because of course that business is being bought by Ad, uh, Advent and Sinven. Uh, they're paying uh, 16 times EBITDA for that business at 17 billion euro when I guess the average uh, buyout uh, number in the United States will probably be more like 12. So the, the multiple, uh, more like 12. So I guess um, at least uh, um, the business, ThyssenKrupp, happy to see that sale go through at that multiple. Not so sure whether um, Advent and sinvin will be that happy about the price they're paying in the context of the world uh, post COVID-19. But anyhow, uh, you pays your money and you takes your choice and you live with the consequences of your decisions. Let's have a look at Deutsche Post's uh, first quarter results here. So uh, what can I tell you about Deutsche Post? The uh, group says they've had good business development, uh, broad geographic footprint and the resilient business model have paid off in these testing Times. The group revenue was up 0.9% to 15.5 billion euro. All five divisions reporting positive earnings in the first quarter of 2020. Group EBIT comes in at 592 million euros. The operating cash flow almost tripled to 750 million euro. Investment in profitable growth continuing at a high level. And the group uh, offering us some medium-term guidance, confirming EBIT to reach at at least 5.3 billion euros by 2020. Uh, Since the further impact of the pandemic currently cannot be predicted, a full-year guidance for 2020 is currently hardly feasible. That's a direct quote. New guidance will be issued as soon as a more reliable basis is in place to enable A detailed earnings forecast, Deutsche Post uh, benefiting from a pickup in e-commerce, obviously, as people cannot go to the shops themselves and are relying on home delivery. Post and parcel uh, earnings in uh, Germany up nearly 50 percent. And business in China experiencing a recovery in March after the drop in February. They're just some of the takeaways from Deutsche Post. To learn more about the impact the pandemic is having on shipping across Europe, Bert Napier will join us, President of FedEx Express Europe, that interview, 7.30 Central European Time. And we will round out the ThyssenKrupp Krupp story with a look at the uh, steel prices. Uh, we will catch up with Scott Yarum. He comes to us from S&P Global Platts. That coming up later on in the programme, so don't go away. President Trump says he is not interested in renegotiating the Phase 1 trade deal with China. This after, Chinese state media reported Beijing is urging Washington to get back to the table to get a more favorable deal. The Chinese government agreed to buy at least $200 billion of additional U.S. goods in January as part of the truce. But the pandemic has put a strain on China's ability to increase imports from the U.S. Speaking at the White House press conference, Trump made it clear there would be no going back. We signed a deal. I had heard that too. They'd like to reopen the trade talk to make it a, a better deal for them. Uh, China's been... Taking advantage of the United States for many, many years, for decades, because we had people at this position right here where I'm standing, sitting right in that office, the Oval Office, that allowed that to happen. No, I'm not interested in that. Let's uh, see if they live up to the deal that they signed. President Trump abruptly left the press conference after being drawn into a heated exchange with a reporter over the virus death toll in the U.S.,
2: Losing their lives
0: everywhere in the world, and maybe that's a question you should ask China. Don't ask me. Ask China that question, okay? When you ask them that question, you may get a very unusual answer. Yes. Behind you, please.
3: What, sir, why are you saying that to me specifically? I'm telling that I you. Ask China? I'm not saying
0: it specifically to anybody. I'm saying it to anybody that would ask a nasty question that's like that. That's not a nasty.
3: Please, question.
2: Please go ahead. Why does it? Okay, uh, anybody else?
0: Well, speaking to CNBC White House advisor Peter Navarro threatened retaliation against China for its role in the spread of the virus, once again ramping up tensions between the world's two largest economies. A bill has to come due for China. It's not a question of punishing them. It's a question of holding China account, the Chinese Communist Party account, for what it did not just to the American people, the American workers... American children, American senior
3: citizens, but also to the rest of the world.
0: Peter Navarro, China's industrial deflation deepened as producer prices fell 3.1% in April. That's more than double the decline seen in March. The larger than expected drop in PPI was the biggest in four years. Didn't really help Asian markets much. Let's get out to Emily, who's got more on the numbers and the reaction. Morning, Emily.
3: Hi there, Jeff. And we're watching a weak reaction to the numbers here uh, that came out earlier. Uh, we've got the Hong Kong and uh, Chinese markets sitting in negative territory on the back of this. Uh, the Hang Seng Index off 1.6 percent at 24,207, and uh, the Shanghai Composite down half a percent. A Shenzhen Composite at 1,792. So we are uh, in resumed trade for the afternoon session, and uh, the, we're seeing a continued weakness here. Just to run you through the data: April inflation for the month of April, uh, the low was September 3.3% increase and that's easing from the 4.3% increase that we had in the previous month of March Uh, so we're seeing mild inflation and as many traders were expecting a positive take from the market but that's not exactly what we're seeing and how it's playing out Uh, for the producer level PPI uh, down 3.1% and that is uh, basically deepening deflation from the 1.5% contraction that we had in the month of March lots to do with uh, the uh, food prices because that's a big component in the CPI basket it makes up 30 percent of that and we got food prices up 14.8 percent A huge contributor up 96.9% against the year ago, but that is easing from the 114% increase in the month of March. So uh, we got a weak reaction to the latest data set that came through with PPI, as Jeff indicated, now hovering at a four-year low. Uh, We're watching some of the reaction in the stocks uh, pull up the heavyweight stocks like Tencent. Uh, This one in focus, our heavyweight, because it is reporting its Q1 results tomorrow, on the back of uh, people spending more time at home. Uh, playing more games watching more videos as this is a social media and gaming giant we'll see how much of a boost it has given to Tencent we're also looking in the wires here and Reuters reporting uh, that Tencent is making an investment into Tim Hortons this is the Canadian fast food restaurant chain which specializes in coffee as well as donuts Uh, they didn't disclose the financial amount uh, but it is enough to help uh, Tim Hortons open up uh, from 50 restaurants to 1,500 so that is what did the financial investment will help the company continue to expand into the Chinese market. Uh, So we're waiting on a Tencent earnings, a Tencent Music already reporting. And uh, that was a company's results for the quarter revenue missing estimates. So we're going to be watching out for Tencent and uh, the reaction to the Tim Hortons uh, investment. And of course, as well as the latest data set. Jeff, it's back to you.
0: Thanks so much for that, Emily. Let's move on. Coming up, the Nasdaq closes higher for the sixth straight session. That's its best showing since December. We'll take a look at what's pushing these markets higher and why some are falling by the wayside. And if you want to keep up to date with all the stories we cover on the programme, you can catch up with us again on the Squawk Box podcast. So, welcome back, everybody. I just want to tell you a quick story of the markets here uh, as we progress with the program. And there are a few things that uh, I think is just worth pointing out. Obviously, um, there is a broader uh, shift in uh, sentiment. In Asia, this hour. The Nikkei is the only market in positive territory uh, on our wall here, and it's up just a modest uh, nearly two tenths of 1%. But a couple of individual stories. Um, Obviously, the Greater China story, the Hang Seng Index, and Shanghai. Watching very closely that PPI information, the industrial inflation data that suggests that actually um, China still hasn't really got out of first gear when it comes to something that suggests pricing recovery. on the industrial side even though maybe the overall CPI number was a little firmer and Australia um, we're off one percent here again there is potentially a China tie-up here there's been the threat of some tariffs on Australian grain products as these two countries at the moment are fencing over the issue of uh, this uh, investigation into the origin of coronavirus and a, a little bit of news that came through overnight Apparently, Chinese imports uh, from some Australian abattoirs have been suspended. Perhaps that is also part of the current geopolitical disagreement that's going on there. What do the US futures tell us then? Critical, I think, that we see uh, just where we start here. Yesterday, at the same time, we were looking at a positive start to the session that then kind of dissipated as we went through the day. At the moment, the Dow Jones uh, is implied to open about 117 points lower at the start of the trading session. It was a mixed story, though, overall for the US markets. And as we look at the war, you can see here the Dow was weaker, even as the S&P managed to get back above the plimsoll line. But it was the Nasdaq that yet again put in a positive performance here, and it was the sixth straight session uh, for the Nasdaq. It's the longest winning streak now since uh, December, and perhaps that's to do with a sense of of bottom coming in uh... people like uh... dara costa shahi the ceo of uber starting to talk about rides picking up again that encouraging people to look and there was a terrific piece of work from uh... the team over at deutsche bank just trying to identify actually who owns this market or who is buying and perhaps some slightly worrying conclusions not institutions. They're selling. Machines are flat, so the algos are just trading around what's going on with the pricing noise. Hedge funds more bearish, and volume and liquidity lower. So lower volume, lower liquidity, but retail punters in the market according to some of the data from brokerages like Robinhood and so on and so forth. And you could ask why in particular, then, the NASDAQ. Well, let's have a look at tech more specifically. In the technology sector, there are still some companies like Apple that are progressing with their buybacks and generally there has been momentum in the technology story and a number of these companies have been benefiting from the broader lockdown story and the retail investor still seems to be very keen to engage but you know how cynical wall street is wall street argues that the retail investor is the dumb money and ultimately they will lose out We will have to wait and we will have to see. But at the moment, if retail is making money right now, then they're doing better than the institutions who are at the moment apparently sitting this one out according to some of this research. Um, Let's have a look at the Treasuries. And I think, again, this is an interesting story because we are on the verge now of the Federal Reserve launching the first wave of three of this uh, buyback program. So it'll be corporate ETFs uh, that the Fed is going to engage in. Due to start this program, $250 billion. Ultimately, it expands to about $750 billion. But that program, three parts just about to to be initiated. And the other thing that's fascinating here is that investment-grade issuance Was 98 billion last week. Now that is the third biggest week ever, the first and second biggest weeks. We're actually in April, with 117 billion dollars being the biggest week. So you can see that corporates are using this space that the Federal Reserve is creating to go out into the market and provide themselves with some more ammunition, ammunition or dry powder to weather COVID-19. Here, um, Deutsche Bank has become the Uh, First lender to raise bank capital in euros since the coronavirus crisis Uh, forced many European countries into lockdown in March. The bank sold 1.25 billion euros of tier two bonds, which rank just one notch above the riskiest tier one debt. The hedge fund investor Paul Tudor Jones has warned the US economy could see a repeat of the Great Depression if lockdown restrictions remain in place for a year. Speaking to CNBC, Tudor Jones added the market might begin worrying about bankruptcies.
2: There'll be a shift in focus from liquidity issues somewhere down the line to solvency issues. And if we start seeing if this if if we don't
0: find a vaccine or a cure, if we don't find a a much better
2: way of testing at scale for the population so that we can get back to work and we start uh, seeing daily doses of bankruptcies and other insolvencies, then I think the market's going to have a much more difficult time.
0: Paul Tudor Jones, who is always fascinating and also made some very interesting comments about Bitcoin, which we will get into later on in the wake of that third halving that took place yesterday. Let's bring Steve into the conversation. I don't think he's on his soapbox down at Hyde Park Corner, but Steve, you've been sending us some lovely pictures of uh, swans all morning. Um, I'll avoid the inevitable comparison that Nassim Taleb would make with what's going on at the moment, but Fascinating that Deutsche Bank is looking at who is buying and they're arguing the professionals are sitting on the side in terms of this rally.
1: I I disagree. I mean, there's a whole lot of professionals who are involved in the market. I mean, look at Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett's got one hundred and thirty seven billion dollars in cash, which is, of course, the big headline last week, along with selling the airlines. But he also owns a hell of a lot of the market. I mean, what's, his, what's the, the net asset value of uh, Berkshire Hathaway? It's over $700 billion. To so say the professionals are not in the market uh, is disingenuous, I would suggest, over at Deutsche. But look, let's go back to your, your, your Tudor Jones comments as well, because it's got me thinking a lot about the Great Depression. I know you're a great student of it as well, Jeff, uh, and actually looking at the causes of it. And, and he's absolutely right. And again, I, I use the word disingenuous, but it's not rocket science to work out that if you shut down the world's largest economy and every other economy in the meantime and take away vast amounts of capacity. I mean, including, for instance, what was that stat last week in the British? 97% decline in car sales. You put those kind of stats around and you times it uh, by four quarters. Of course, you're going to have extreme economic conditions. And we've already heard from Mnuchin, and you'll have to look at the U6. The U6 showed a 22.5% unemployment rate as well. So yeah, if you shut down economies and don't have economic activity and you react badly, and I think the latter point is absolutely key, uh, then you are going to have a depression. There is no doubt about as well. I mean, look at what caused the Great Depression. I mean, you and I can argue this with anyone until we're blue in the teeth, but some of the causes include uh, an overinflated stock market, uh, ramp- uh, rampant protectionism, uh, and tariffs that came in right at the start uh, of the 1930s that made it worse in the, an effort to protect American companies as well. Uh, you had an agricultural crisis as well, the Dust Bowl. We've all read our Steinbeck as well. You had the World War I situation. We mustn't forget, even though it had been finished. Uh, 12 years, Uh, by 1930, the fact of the matter was the European states were broken financially and paying vast amounts of interest rates to the US. So if you add in debt, protectionism, uh, an overinflated stock market, a lack of economic activity as people pull back their savings, um, plus you add in uh, huge concerns about agriculture and that, and let's face it, we could have a metaphor on climate if we wanted as well, then you've got all the conditions for another depression. Uh, I think it's it, you can absolutely see a roadmap to it. Does it mean it's going to happen? Not necessarily.
0: Uh, no, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, I, uh, like many others, I think I'm watching what's happening in, in the US in particular, With a heavy heart, you know, you hear the reports of farmers who are just pouring milk away or others that are just slaughtering some of their herd because they can't get them to market or the mechanisms for processing the product just appear to be breaking down at this moment when you've got people queuing for food in the United States. Now, that is a real tragedy to me here. And this is part of the broader story that I think we're still grappling with, and I think everybody is still grappling with, the dissonance and disconnect that is apparently taking place between the worsening economic news and the fact that the markets uh, continue to edge up here. And just just to... Um, you know, express uh, the benefit of the doubt for Deutsche Bank. They were actually talking about who's buying the market at this point rather than who's already in the market. And to come back on your point, I think Warren Buffett made it very clear he doesn't think there's anything he wants to own at this stage in spite of the fact that the headline indices are going up.
1: No, no, that's not true, Jeff. Uh, sorry, I don't like arguing with you because we we're so much on the same page. But, but, but the truth of the matter is, he does own a lot. You say he doesn't want to own stuff. He does want to own stuff. He owns railways. He owns banks. He owns Apple. He owns uh, chocolate companies. He owns a whole lot of stuff. Which, if he thought there was going to be an economic depression, he would sell. He's not He's not sentimental. He's shown that with his airline positioning. He sees no recovery. Perhaps he sees a a depression in the airline sector. I think we can all see that as well with latest uh, quarantine rules and lack of travel going on on a global basis as well. But if he thought there was going to be a Great Depression, he wouldn't own railways. He wouldn't own Bank of America. Maybe he'd own Apple because there's a different uh, uh, structural story rather than cyclical as well. And, And again, I think the sweeping statements from Anyone that says nobody is buying it, the professionals aren't buying it as such. Well, the professionals were buying it um, 10% higher, 20% higher in some of these industries. They were buying the FTSE at 7,500. You and I couldn't find a bear on the FTSE uh, at 7,500 in a million years. So I think a lot of them must be dipping their toe now. Otherwise, what is the quality of these people? The ones who wanted to buy it at 7,500, but won't touch it at 6,000. Who wanted it at 28,000, uh, but don't want it at 23,000
0: as well. Who are these people, Jeff? We'll find out over the course of this cycle, no doubt. But Steve, I think we're just disagreeing on the term owning and buying. I think the point is who is going in and acquiring more stakes at this point or who currently owns and is just sitting in the market uh, waiting to ride it out. Goodness knows there are plenty sat in the market at the moment who are probably underwater on paper.
1: Yeah, again, and I'm I'm just going to go into bat again. I feel quite combative, despite my unbelievably serene surroundings today as well. These people come on and tell you and I and Karen and every other media correspondent on a regular basis that they're in it for the long-term. They're not a trader. They're not a six-month trader they're not a year trader. They're looking beyond the cycle, remember? They tell us that the stock market is a forward-looking mechanism, that they're here for the long-term, that they're five-year investors, seven-year investors as well. Well, and, and that's the juxtaposition, isn't it? And we had a, a, a commentator yesterday who said that he thought that the, the, the profits could get back to peak profitability, we could get right back there, but at the same time told us he didn't like the stock market at the moment and was very concerned about the risk levels. You can't have it both ways. You can't think we're going back to peak profitability and tell me the stock market's going down.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe
1: Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the
0: show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.